back to Eddie Lines. It's been almost a year since I published the episode on Kitty Lee. It feels good to work on another story. It's been hard to fit this into the rest of my life and work. Anyway, here we are. I hope you're well. arrived at episode 5. This episode is all about the middle fork of the salmon and the sweet boat, told from two guides and river runners that know it best, Jerry Hughes and Bob Seavey. Jerry Hughes is a native Idahoan who first ran the middle fork in 1963. 2020 was Jerry's 55th year working as a professional guide. Jerry has a bachelor's degree in business and a law degree from the University of Idaho. Jerry and Hughes River Expeditions continues to run trips on the middle fork of the salmon Main Salmon, the Lower Salmon, and the Selway. Jerry, welcome to Eddie Lines. I would be pleased to tell you my memory of the way the whole thing worked out. Excellent. I'm Jerry Hughes. I'm a river outfitter and guide. I've been an Idaho resident my, my entire life. I was able to start working, or not working, but going on river trips as a Boy Scout on some trips that were organized through the uh, Boy Scouts in Twin Falls, Idaho. In 1977, my wife Carol and I started Hughes River Expeditions. And would you tell me what what a sweet boat is? For those who yeah. don't, I never, I sure. never heard of that before. Well, in, in terms of Idaho boating, it's an inflatable raft uh, that is set up, rather than having oars that are off the sides or paddles that are on, paddle teams that are on the sides of the boat. A sweep boat is set up with a large uh, arm with a blade on it, uh, both front and aft. And the sweep boatman stands on a deck in the middle of the of the craft and goes downstream. Uh, they're they're interesting craft. They're they're pretty unique to Idaho. Idaho uh, boaters in the early days use sweep boats uh, from clear back in the days of the 1890s when there were scows, uh, big wooden scows going down the main salmon. And uh, a lot of other areas, such as Oregon and Utah, where boating was starting, uh, were all pretty much ore rafts. Uh, but Idaho was unique. The salmon Idaho area particularly had a number of boaters that, that used craft controlled with sweeps. And uh, they especially uh, became popular once the military surplus boats from World War II became available. And, and the, the sweeps will work the best on a stream that has a constant current. If you have a river with big, long, slow pools, they, they don't work well. And the boat pretty much just runs with inertia. You, uh, you, you don't want to turn it sideways. They, they don't control at all well sideways. There, there's only a couple of spots on the middle fork where the sweep is, is more problematic than an ore boat. So uh, they're, they're kind of a unique, a uh, unique creature. They look like a big insect on the water. <laughs> what do you know um, where the like the sweep scow, the big wooden boats? Like what the utility of that was? Like who thought, oh, we should stand on the boat? W- w- let's try that. Yeah, the, the thing that happened there was that there were some pioneers in the in the backcountry that were uh, uh, going through the Salmon River all the way from Salmon, Idaho, clear down to the Snake. 
and uh, usually they were doing it to mine. Uh, a lot of them, uh, a guy named Johnny McKay, would spend two or three years on one trip and uh, had a, a wooden scow that he had a canvas cover made for that he could make into a, a house, <laughs> a canvas house. He'd pull into beaches and stay for, for several weeks and pan gold and, and hunt and then just gradually make his way through the main Salmon Canyon. And, and that uh, type of boating, uh, oh, for instance, there was a 1936 scow trip with uh, some well-known scow pilots that National Geographic took through the area to study the area because it really hadn't been scientifically examined uh, in the in the in those days. And some legendary scow boatmen were people like Captain Gulicki, who uh, ran the river. Uh, a lot of people think that the name River of No Return came from Gulicki's trips. He started in the in the late uh, 1890s and was too old to want to go on the on the geographic trip but uh one of his a couple of his boatmen did take that trip but Gulicki uh made a business out of going down through the canyon with big 37 foot scows can't imagine how they did it and they they would build the scows yeah they'd build the scows in salmon idaho and uh they'd head down the river with a whole bunch of supplies that they knew the homesteaders and the people that were living in the backcountry would want to buy and they would normally have an order all set from the trip they'd been on before. And, and of course, they'd bring some stuff that they knew was going to sell well. I think they always had a pretty good supply of whiskey and flour and stuff like that. But they would make their way down the river uh, uh, selling goods and then taking orders for the next trip. And they would continue down the river to either Riggins or, like I said, often they'd go down to Lewiston. And uh, then uh, wherever they stopped, they'd uh, sell the boat for lumber. And then they'd make their way back to Salmon, Idaho with a pocket full of money and orders for the next trip. I was going to ask if that was a one-way trip for those boats. Yeah, and, and that's uh, a lot of people think the River of No Return came from, from those trips. John Carey's uh, father, French John Carey, was a homesteader in the backcountry. And he actually took a boat trip with Gulicki once. And his comment about Gulicki was pretty funny. He said he was a good river man, but he thought he was a little bit heavy on the nip. <laughs> so I guess uh, I guess Captain Gulicki had a jug up there on the on the deck. <laughs> would would take care to sip on it a little bit here and there. <laughs> I have this vision of uh, Gulicki in the Middle Fork Guidebook, um, the history of the Middle Fork, and there's a photo of him. I believe it's him on a on a sweep scow. He looks. He looks very dirty and um, like he hadn't showered in a few weeks, and uh, he looks very serious. Both of the both of them do. When you started running sweeps, what what was that transition like? I mean, were they were there sweeps on the Middle Fork when when you uh, started on the Middle Fork as a guide? Yeah, in fact, the the first trip I went on was a Boy Scout trip, and the Boy Scouts hired a guy named Lee Backus, and uh, who's a kind of a, a early day outfitter in Idaho, and Lee and a, a teenage helper uh, brought two 10-man sweeps on the Middle Fork trip, and they carried a lot of the gear that we were taking down the river on that Boy Scout trip, and uh, <clears throat> and then the, the scouts came along in paddle boats, and we, we carried some of our gear on those paddle boats, but the two sweeps carried most of the trip, and they were set up with cowlings around them, uh, and that was my first trip on the river, and, and the first time I'd ever seen a sweep boat, and we all thought they were super cool. <laughs> How has the design changed since you started? Well, 
pretty much uh, what's happened is the boats have kind of ended up being, there's more or less a standardized Millfork sweep. And I, I actually take some credit for that because there, there were some <laughs> Good. boats that were made by campways that could be used as sweeps and were big enough to be effective and carry stuff. And then there were some Firestone boats that were made in the, I believe the Goose and, and some of the people that were a generation ahead of Bob and me uh, designed those boats, and they were bulletproof. Some of those were still on the river just a year or two ago. Wow. You know, they, they, they just lasted forever. But then they nobody else made any boats, and I, I wanted to get a bigger boat and a heavy-duty boat, and I shopped around, and I, I got a hold of a, a guy named Burroughs over in England, in Lancashire, England, who had a company over there called Leyland Birmingham, and it eventually became Eurocraft. And so I talked to all the people like the Goofs and people that had some sweep experience that were more experienced than I was by a lot. And I came up with a design, and those guys built a 22-foot pontoon with 34-inch tubes, uh, blunt on the back end to catch the current and push forward, turned up on the front uh, so the dimensions would be 8.5 feet wide, 34-inch tubes, and a 34-inch space in the middle. That's almost exactly the the width dimensions of a military 33-foot pontoon from World War II. And uh, it was a 22-footer, and they, uh, they made it with extra layers of water fabric where we thought we'd you know, rub the boat the worst. And, man, we ran that boat from 1983 for at least, at least, well, I think I replaced it in about in 2009. Uh, it was a great boat. And uh, in the meantime, Demery inflatable boats, which – make the Grand Canyon pontoons, the big uh, heavy-duty motor rigs down yeah. there, uh, were approached by one of the first people was Bob Seavey, because Bob liked my boat. He had one of the shorter old Firestones, but he liked the longer boat. And so those Firestones were only about 19 feet long. And uh, so Bob went back to Demery, and, and they actually took our diagrams to Demery from the boat that, that I had made. And Demery, I think Bob's boat was the first 22-footer that Dave Demery made. And then uh, as people saw those sweeps on the water, that boat that Demery was making became kind of the standard the standard boat with little modifications for each owner. That's what I run. Is, it's basically what you're describing is what you have. Have you had anyone been thrown out of a sweep or anything like that? Or Yeah, we have. Uh, uh, Mel Hughes, who's a, I don't know if you know Sherry Hughes, she's, Forest Service person that used to do all the checking, ran the checkers, and now she's working on that reservation system that we all use. Okay. But Mel was a guy I knew when I worked for Hatch, and not a relative of mine. He's a Missouri guy, and uh, he worked with us a few years after leaving Hatch, and then uh, while during those years, he was running our sweep at uh, right by the, the rapid there at Jack Creek, where the creek comes in, and uh, he was just cruising along, and he caught caught that front blade and it threw him right out of the boat you know and he's a i don't know if you know mel we called him big mel he's you know six foot three and probably weighed 240 pounds he said it just pitched him out of there like he was a rubber ball wow <laughs> and uh, had the dog paddle back to the boat and get back in and you know and that's a rocky rapid he's lucky he didn't hit anything when he landed yeah yeah this episode is supported by the red side foundation i don't mean financially they support us in other ways. The Red Tide Foundation seeks to serve the professional guiding community of Idaho and now Montana. Red Tide serves Idaho and Montana guides through education, training, 
and support services, including the provision of confidential access to mental and physical health care and substance abuse counseling for guides in need. You can learn about getting or giving support with Redside Foundation at redsidefoundation.org or by calling their mental health hotline at 208-740-1192. Our next guest is Bob Seavey. Seavey's a longtime Idaho river runner and guide. An infamous rock on the Middle Fork is named after his dad. Hi there. Hey, Bob. Can you hear me okay? Yes, it's, it's good. So Jerry told me to ask you about uh, trips, early trips in 73, around that time. What, what was it like back then? Yeah, I, 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 had a great, I had a great opportunity. I worked for the Forest Service starting in, in 1969 as a uh, boat patrolman. We uh, cleaned up camps mainly. It was mainly uh, a garbage patrol type of deal. And uh, in the other part of the job, we we set up two-sided privies that you may may have remembered before the carry-out days uh, began. So it, it was a it was a great job. Uh, the sweep boat was a lot of fun to run. It was uh, really tracked well in the water, and uh, it was my introduction to sweep boating. You know, I, I've got a kind of a fun garbage story because CV was doing all that cleanup. And he was not only dealing with the fire pits, but he was straining all the trash out of them because everybody was pretty sure cans and whiskey bottles were biodegradable in those days. And so he'd have big <laughs> bags of garbage and his sweet boat, you know, just stink to high heaven. And he, he pulled in it uh, there uh, right between Bernard and Haystack. And, and he would go up there and spend the night with a couple that were staying at the ranger station in those days. And uh, so he went up there and came back the next morning and, uh, and there was garbage bags floating everywhere, and he could just barely see the boat. And, uh, when I got up the next morning and looked down there, I could see the bow line just trailing off in the water and, and debris everywhere. The cooler was floating in the eddy. <laughs> Everything that was in the boat was was either headed down the middle fork or floating in the eddy. And uh, it was a disaster. Uh, uh, a damn bear had gotten in his boat, and... <laughs> It had uh, uh, the boat, the, the rope just went off in the, in the pool. <laughs> Something spooked them. They made a circuit of the tube, and each time their talons went down, it cut uh, into the boat and, and, def- and deflated it. So he called out to the Forest Service guy on the radio up there at the, at the cabin, and his boss, Andy Finn, <laughs> flew in a whole bunch of extra glue and fabric for him. So it took a day to get that, that all organized, and... Uh, we got the boat winched out, finally winched out of the water, but it was in <laughs> it was in horrible shape, and uh, so we patched uh, for two days, and we got it to where it just barely hold air, and decided we'd make a a run on a run on down the middle fork. The uh, guy that was with me never got off the pump. Wow, the the boat pump. They got down there, and and. Uh... Bob's boss, Andy Finn, was waiting for him. He's a really neat guy. I remember Andy Finn. And Andy, and he drove it out to the landfill, and they just rolled that boat, the rubber part of it, just off into the landfill and went, and went to look for a new boat. <laughs> that was the end of that sweet boat. Our, our big break was uh, I got the opportunity to buy a Firestone from Stanton Miller, and uh, that was part of the... Uh, Guth design with Firestone. He, uh, Guth had six 
boats, as I recall, made. He kept four of them. The Forest Service took one, and Stent Miller had the other one. And uh, I was able to buy that boat and uh, and and uh, improve our our uh, fleet with that. The, the story that uh, was good with that was that when I went to pick up the boat, Stanton directed me out to the barn. He said he'd be out there shortly, and I opened the door and stood face to face with a, a mountain lion. <laughs> it was luckily chained up, but uh, it made uh, loading the equipment for the boat rather interesting. Why did he have a mountain lion in his? In his <laughs> I think he'd raised barn. it uh, as, as a cub, and uh, <laughs> that's where he kept the lion. It was a gorgeous animal, but uh, it, it was a uh, uh, it was a pretty interesting experience. So I've been on the river for about five years now, and I know of a rock called Seabee's Rock, and I was wondering if you could tell me uh, where that why that rock is named Seabee's Rock. Oh, yeah, that was quite an exciting day. That was the day I turned 13, and it was my, <laughs> it was my first day down, uh, it was my first trip down the Middle Fork. We were uh, a troop of Boy Scouts, and uh, we had hired a outfitter named Lee Backus out of Boise to uh, carry the cargo and to show us where to run the rapids. And uh, Lee had this uh, gorgeous sweet boat, Tin Man, with red, a red shield on it, and uh, luckily uh, I was uh, I filmed the trip with a, a Super 8, and I've got great pictures of the uh, sweet boat and the and the boats the scouts had and the different ones that we uh, that we did. But uh, the uh, wreck in Seabees Rock was uh, my father was guiding the raft. It was a paddle boat, a war assault paddle boat. And like so many other people that have wrecked there, we didn't get the cut made in time, and we pasted the rock. And uh, we put we we pasted it re- as well as you can paste it. And the uh, <laughs> it was a a cable job getting it off. It took quite a while, and uh, we ended up uh, kind of swimming off behind the behind the raft when it started to move. But I think there were six of us on it, and my and my father. And the uh, <laughs> my father was an avid salmon fisher, fisherman, and uh, he lost all all of all of his fishing gear in the wreck. But uh, that that's how it got it got us name. Hmm. How do you feel? How do you feel about a rock being named after you? Oh, I think it's a it's a real credit to the uh, Boy Scout program to have that rock named out is actually named after my father because he was tied in the raft and uh, it's it's fun having it named the Seabees Rock yeah I uh, I can imagine that's um, that's pretty neat I know exactly where it is too I always get scared when I go by there <laughs> especially on the yeah. sweet boat yeah it's like a lot better when you sneak down the right right bank rather than having to do the corkscrew. Mm-hmm. Looking back on your time on the river um, as a as a Boy Scout and then as a guide and, and then as an outfitter, do you think that was? Are you happy with that's how you spent your time? It was an absolutely amazing career, and at a pretty unusual time for the for the river industry. 
I was kind of able to go from the war surplus years into the more sophisticated rafts and uh, was able to run all sorts of different types of sweet boats, five, five different types of sweet boats. Uh, so it was a, a real joy. We had a great clientele in the years that we ran. Uh, were real loyal to us and, and, uh, and good. So I can't think of a... Anything else I would have wanted to do, it was just a great career. Mm. Here's Jerry Hughes again. I, I really enjoyed it, and it, you know, there's probably better ways to make a living, but this has worked out fine. And uh, Carol and I've enjoyed it, and and uh, you know, I I just never was on one of the rivers I didn't love. And man, the Middle Fork and the Selway are right there at the top of the list. It's hard to hard to say there's anything better than than those streams. What are some of the concerns, environmentally speaking, uh, along the Middle Fork and Main Salmon Corridors? You mentioned Chinook Salmon. Do you have any public opinion on Chinook? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I really, uh, I, I really support trying to to get them back. And I think the only way to do it is to remove the the four dams on the Snake from the you know the articles and information I've been able to gather. The the problems are are downstream. They're they're the dams and and commercial fishing, uh, and, and I think ocean conditions are really critical. So in a way, I think we're just an easy target because we're, you know, it's pretty easy to, to, to keep an eye on us up here in the, in the spawning area. Well, thank you, Jerry and Bob, for talking with me. Thanks, Dustin Ahern, Jerry Hughes, and Bob Seavey. Thanks so much for listening. Please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you're listening from. Our episodes are, at this point, funded only through listeners like you. If you'd like to help us produce more episodes, you can find me on Venmo at Gregory-Karens. Also, if you have a river story you'd like to share with us, please, please let me know. I'd like more of them. Today's show is produced by me, Greg Karens, and Karens Film in Bozeman, Montana. Our editor is now Alara Jones. Thank you, Alara. Intro music by Larry Keel, performer, BMI, Keelfish Music. The composer of Corn Liquor is David Vaya. Music by Frank Sullivan in the Dirty Kitchen. Additional closing music, this time by Tim Bloom and the Coffus Brothers. The song is My Baby's Got a Mustache. The beautiful guest Choo Choo Train playing is by Max Gans. That was a recording from one of our Middle Fork trips this past summer. Remember to watch your downstream more and respect the river gods. We're all just between swims. Next time on Eddie Lines, episode 6, The River Runner with Charlie Muncy. Looking forward to that. This one goes out to Max, wherever he is. Uh, <laughs> bring your train whistle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and. Why don't you shave?
save.